0: Hello, welcome to WP Tonic, episode number one hundred and thirteen. Today we're talking what goes into a winning WordPress proposal, and our panel today. Let's go ahead and let everybody introduce themselves. Morton,
1: hey, I uh, am Morton. I work for Lynda.com from LinkedIn, and uh, I'm uh, early celebration of. Uh, Norwegian excellence at the Olympics, therefore the hat. This nice. is the Norwegian ski team hat, obviously, because clearly they're going to compete in the Summer Olympics, as we all know.
2: <laughs> oh, do you mean it doesn't snow in Norway in the summer?
1: <laughs> Something like that.
0: Jackie, introduce yourself.
3: Hi, I'm Jackie Dalia with uh, Jackie Dalia Design. I build um, custom websites for small and medium
2: businesses.
0: That's okay. it. Okay, cool. Sally.
2: Hi, my name is Sally Getch. Uh My business is WPFangirl.com, and I also am the organizer of the East Bay WordPress Meetup in Oakland, California.
0: Awesome. Jonathan...
3: Hi there, folks. I'm the founder of WP Tonic, so blame this madness on me. And WP Tonic is also a maintenance and WordPress small job fix company. We do all the stuff so you can concentrate on building your business.
0: Absolutely. And I'm John Locke. I run a small WordPress consultancy in Sacramento called Lockdown Design. Well, before we get into today's main topic, uh, let's go over really quick some WordPress news stories. Uh, first up, we've got Helen Sandy's post on Theme Disconnect. Uh, Morton, did, mm-hmm. did you have a chance to read this? Oh, yeah.
3: Oh, yes, he did. I saw his comments. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, yes. Uh, Helen is talking about something that I think several people have talked about before. I've, I wrote an article about something somewhat related to this uh, earlier this year as well, Um, it it, it kind of circles back to a project that I was involved with uh, last year, I think, called NUX, New User Experience, um, where Drew, uh, I can't remember his last name, uh, Drew, uh, who was the project lead for 4.3... Is that Drew James? Yes, Drew James. Um, He started this project called NUX, which was looking at the new user experience and whether... Uh, the first-time WordPress user is uh, presented with an acceptable user experience. and The simple answer is no. Uh, It's super confusing um, because WordPress has just gotten way too complex. And we had a lot of discussions about what should be done, but not much came out of it uh, for various reasons. Go open source, all good ideas die on the vine. so uh, that, that's kind of where it comes from, that the idea of this new user experience project has been lingering around, but it needs to have a better focus it's in that uh, the lead developers need to be more invested in that and not in other things. Um, so the, the project came out of when you set up a WordPress site, what are the next steps you should be doing? Is it to uh, start creating a post? Is it to customize your theme? And... Uh, what Helen is saying is, maybe we should start creating user experience that really focuses on immediately after setting something up, designing a theme. But to do that, you need to have more control, and you need to have some data to work with. It's not enough with that hello world post. Uh, so she's asking if we should have demo content that, that makes a theme match what you see in the theme directory, um, and uh, whether some editing should be possible from the customizer rather than from a post editor, mm-hmm. and so on and so on. So, right,
2: that that proposal about creating pages from the menu interface, for instance.
1: Yeah. Which is a terrible idea. Like, honestly, it's the worst idea I've seen in a long time. That's what my problem is. About. <laughs> and, and, and Helen disagrees with me on that, and that's fine. Like That's why we have a conversation. Uh, the reason why I think it's a bad idea is because it is a, uh, con, uh, it's a convolution of context. So... Uh, if you do a like, if you use a customizer for content creation, um, you're convoluting what the customizer is for. However, I don't have a problem with content creation happening within the customizer inter like in space, as in on the screen, as long as the content editing is happening inside the WordPress site, not in the customizer panel itself, where it is right now. Um, so I think it's a solvable problem. It's just. Again, this is moving too far forward. The larger problem is actually how do we get people into the customizer and help them understand the customizer before they start even thinking about content. So.
2: It's true. There is not like a, well, I guess when you when you first install WordPress, there is kind of a customize your site button. Uh, I close that screen so quickly that I don't even pay attention to it. Uh, but uh, yeah, there isn't any process for kind of leading people through setting their yeah. site up.
1: Uh, the what the Nux team originally ended up working with was almost exclusively that welcome panel that shows up on the first and what that says and the order in which that happens. And a ton of work was done on it and almost none of it was implemented even though it's just a text uh, field um, because it. we were discussing how it changes the behavior of the user. But I think a larger conversation needs to be had about what is the user experience like when you first set it up, uh, and should you even land on the admin page first, or should you go somewhere else first, or should there be, like, a wizard, or, you know, there's a lot of things that need to be discussed here. So it's good that it's starting.
3: I think that um, from a new user perspective, one of the primary things I would be looking for if I didn't know anything about WordPress and I come in would be just a separation of the functionality like administration things and configuration things and then publishing things and i because i think for um, when i work with clients that don't use wordpress on a daily basis and they're getting a wordpress site it's confusing to them what's where they go to do like their daily work the publishing that they're going to do versus where they do administrative and configuration and they're kind of all mixed in right now Mm -hmm. it is very difficult to tell I mean I'd love to see like you know three buttons when you first come in that's you know publishing that's configuration and that's administration if you're setting up users and user roles and things like that and keep it more streamlined as far as being so overwhelmed when they get into the panel you've got the whole confusion with post and pages right off the bat um, everything is set up still as a blog when 99% of the sites I do right now are all static sites per se with a blog component. And I th- think that's just very, it's all very confusing for people.
2: That's
0: my take Sally. on it. Sorry? Oh, Sally. I was just saying, Sally. You yes.
2: I I was I was just thinking you know that uh, about Jackie's point is yeah I mean you know do we want the uh, the the dashboard you know the first the first thing people see when when they uh, when they log in um to be uh you know kind of great big boxes that say like design content you know admin yeah perhaps not you know and and the thing is you know is it's as we dig into this it's just sort of like oh we could end up overhauling the entire you know mm-hmm. administrative side of, of WordPress and that is not exactly a small project or an easy one to implement
3: no it wouldn't it wouldn't be but I think as time goes by starting to group things together that are like um, areas would make it easier for people to do and and not um, the biggest issue I have is is Clients can break their site so easily in there and uh, you know if they're just going in there every day to publish content it's so easy to stumble on areas like change your theme and then accidentally realize oh dear Uh, or someone is debugging a plugin and helping you and saying go back to the default 2016 theme see if you still have a problem and then they go back to their theme and all their widgets are gone everything is all moved around because there's no saving of that configuration when you change a theme and when you change back so if you've got widgets in your your theme that you have built for your client that are specialized and they go into the 2016 theme and then they go back none of those placeholders are put back together. So everything's all messed up and they call you and say, you know, what happened? So that's like a perfect example of things that should be somewhere else where it's just not just in the whole list of things that you're doing on a daily basis that you are scrolling up and down on the left side. That
2: That's just my take on it. Right. I mean, there's an, there's an argument for, you know, having your clients have... Editor accounts to log in and manage content. But so, you also, but they yes. have to own their they have to own their site, yeah. right? But they you have also to have some admin access.
3: Yeah, when you also turn projects over to clients, and you may not be supplying the maintenance for them, and they do have to have the um, admin level, especially if they need to. You know, they're encouraged to always keep their plugins updated and keep their themes updated and all these things. Well, that all requires admin access. So by default. Whoever's using the site on a daily basis is probably going to have that access, and I think it's just—it's just—it would be nice if those things were just. When you see like a configuration group or an administration thing, you kind of know, okay, these are areas that are going to change things, and versus maybe just publishing content where you're happy to go and work in on a daily basis. Yeah,
1: I, I think I think there's something uh, There is something there. This idea that. Uh, Right now, there's, apart from a vertical or a like a depth hierarchy, there's really nothing in the interface to tell you uh, these things at the top, they, they have to do with creation of content, then there's this mid section, which is like other people's content, and then there's this admin section, which has to do with how the site behaves. And uh, doing something about how that is displayed, or maybe sectioning it up better, or even changing the visual priority of it so that the most frequent use items are bigger and more prominent, whereas the settings are less uh, would make a huge difference simply because then again it has to do with context. You know that you are in content creation context or changing my site context um, so uh, but I think what all this this entire conversation and all these conversations we're having um, in the community right now about. Um, how, where do we bring WordPress next, and how do we move the project forward? They all uh, hinge on this point that no one in uh, no one's really talking about, and that is we don't know anything about the end user like we truly are flying blind with a big bag on our heads. Everybody
3: who's making the decisions are the people that use WordPress every day and are part of the ones that do the implementations, the customizations, or the code writing. And I don't think a lot of us have any idea what it's like for an average publishing content person to use WordPress on
1: a daily basis. Exactly. And this comes from the open source mentality, right? The, 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 it makes total sense because the open source mentality is the people who use it contribute and you basically, it, you own it. So you're like, I need a elephant button, so I'm going to add an elephant button and you know because I need it. And if someone doesn't like it, they can try to take it away, but then I'll just put it back again and then eventually there will be a pr- permanent elephant button in the system. And that's all fine and dandy when WordPress is a little project that 10,000 people use. When there are millions and millions and millions of websites, that's no longer how you can do it. And and you know, all all respect to the core team, they do a fantastic job at making sure dumb shit doesn't end up in WordPress. Um, I think after uh, the uh, content, what is it called? The uh, the disaster with WordPress three point six, which was the post format formats. You. I was, was
2: I was just, so annoyed. Uh,
1: like that that <laughs> whole do, mess. I was
2: so annoyed when they pulled them out at the last minute. Yeah, but see, just but finished see, recording a bunch of, of tutorials on how to how to use them.
1: Yeah, but, but yeah, from if they were broken, you that have was to, awful. That was yes. a truly awful feature. It was like every single test that was ever done on it. When new people started using it, they were like, "Oh, this doesn't add images. What the hell is going on? Why is my content ending up on the bottom?" Like the the implementation. The idea was fantastic. The implementation was a total disaster. And right. it was in user testing that it turned out this is not what we think it is. But at that point, it had gone so far it was already in core. And that's why we're, uh, Matt well, that's, ended up coming in and shutting it down, right?
2: Right, and, and, and then that's why they decided, well, let's try this features as plugins thing. Yeah so that it doesn't happen again.
1: But the problem is features as plugins doesn't actually address the core issue, which is we truly do not know how people use WordPress. And uh, the argument that comes back is one of two things. It's either those who contribute decide what happens, which is absurd because we're trying to take over the whole internet and we can't actually do things that way because we're simply not informed enough about how people use WordPress to make those decisions. And the other argument is... uh, user testing is not possible because it costs money. Um, which is also true in that we need to do extensive user testing, and that does cost money, and it, and it does require an investment in time. However, that is a completely solvable issue. Yes. Um, and it's something that, uh, I think the reason why it's not being done right now is because it's not sexy. The, no one wants to be like, well, you know, my company's gonna invest a million dollars in user testing for WordPress. That doesn't sound like something cool, right? That sounds like something super boring. Um, And it's also a colossal amount of work. But it's something that we need to do at this point. And I've even proposed methods for doing it, involving academia in it, and doing all these other things. But the conversation just stagnates, because in the end, I think, honestly, the community doesn't want to build applications that work for the common user. They want to build applications that work for themselves. And that is the problem.
3: The WordPress, the way it is right now, is perfect for the people who use it every day that actually write code, customize, yeah. build things. It is, and I, I would say even I could argue though that the user experience is maybe rated at a medium for the for the app for for those people because it could even be better for for us as well. But because I I often forget where I have to go sometimes for simple things that it's in multiple places now there or, or you like if I work in Genesis it's there's some settings in Genesis that also are similar to the settings in the settings panel and I have to remember okay now which one is this one doing so yeah that could even be easier but I honestly I agree with you we're designing it for ourselves <laughs> not
2: for the people who right. use it and and that's fine if what you're building is a tool for developers but if it's supposed to be you know if if the purpose of WordPress is really to democratize publishing Then we need to think a lot more about the first-time
1: user. I give you an award. (laughs) (laughs) That was exactly the point.
3: Yes, exactly, and yeah, and replace the whole visual editor with some kind of visual publisher. Where, and actually, I saw uh, XWP had a plugin, and I tweeted it out this morning. I had looked, was looking at it, and it's in the customizer. So I agree, that's probably not the place I'd want to go to be working on content. But I like the idea that I could have two panels, and as I'm typing in the visual editor, or that their version of that visual editor it's real time showing me what my site is going to look like you know when I left a line an image or right align an image it automatically shows me just right on the screen what it's doing and I'm thinking to myself boy this could be really enhanced further where you could have two panels open and you could be typing away and uh, working in the text editor or the visual editor and then have it show in just real time what it looks like with your styles loaded. because um, that's the biggest problem clients have is they they have two poor choices for writing content. One is the text editor, and if they don't understand how to write HTML, that's out. So you're, you can't hang out in there. So then they go to the visual editor. The visual editor tricks you into thinking you've made mistakes. When you're aligning images left and right and you're writing paragraphs, it visually doesn't look the way it's going to when it renders out in HTML, finally, uh, later. And so they constantly think, oh, what did I do wrong? Why is this not working? And, you know, my... Cl- Floats weren't cleared and all these other things that are being handled later by the style sheet are not showing up there and it's very confusing for those people to write and then they end up just doing very basic content and it's limiting on what you can create. You can't be creative in the visual editor unless you know HTML.
1: That also relies on proper themes and uh, development. If you have a proper theme, then what you see in the visual editor should be fairly close. But
3: But you can't use classes in there, so you can't target things, and you have to go to the text editor to do that.
1: But but that also brings us to that whole Wissiwig idea, right? (laughs) To get through Wissiwig, you actually have to be in the application itself, which is why there is a project for um, inline editing on the front end. Um, And I think that if inline editing is gonna happen, it needs to happen in context, so not in the customizer, but actually inside the page itself. And the mm-hmm. front-ended um, editor project keeps stagnating for the same reason that everything else does. It's very, very complex. There are very few people that know how to do it, and it's not that sexy, so. Well.
3: Because most of us who are using WordPress are perfectly fine writing HTML. <laughs> well, <laughs> most
2: most of the people who might be contributing to the development of that, I think that's that's different yeah. from most of the people using WordPress. Yes. Yeah,
3: I don't use the visual editor. I use the text editor when yeah. I write when I write my posts. I mean, that's how I work. So I'm perfectly happy to just work in that world. It's not a problem for me. It's a problem for my clients, though.
1: And you and me and everyone else are the WordPress one percent. True.
0: And I, I I do think that like most of us are comfortable like using the text editor, or you know maybe even the customizer, even if we don't necessarily like it. But I think for clients, it's very confusing to you know this idea of you know um, we they have to be taught to add menus and customizer, and I think that the m- vast majority of clients are going to use the visual editor and not the text editor. And I love the idea that no there's some sort of preview screen for seeing what it's going to look like similar to like when you're changing your theme in the customizer that would be awesome but
2: right i mean cool. as it stands you have to write a separate yeah. editor css file if, if you want the visual editor to yep. re- reflect your you know your most basic theme styles
0: yep so we're going to i think we're going to go to a break and then we're going to come back with our main topic uh, how writing? How do you write a great WordPress proposal that's going to win business? All right, so we're going to tackle that after the break.
1: Buying or selling a home in the greater Reno, Tahoe area? I know the best CRS real estate broker, and that's Karen Conrad, and you can find her at karenconrad.com or call directly at 775-527-7021.
0: All right, and we're back uh, in the main topic We're talking, how do you write a great winning WordPress proposal? And I want to start with, uh, I'm going to ask Morton and then uh, Jackie and then Sally. Uh, You know, what's your process for writing a proposal? What do you do before you even begin writing the proposal? Uh, And what I mean by that is, how do you handle the discovery process? Is that part of the proposal? Is that before the proposal? How do you onboard the client before you you know, how do you gather that, that information to write an effective proposal? Morton?
1: I talk to the client. I, I do uh, a lot of work. Assuming that, you know, the <clears throat> assuming there is a conversation going with the client, as in they've contacted me or somehow I've gotten involved in the conversation, uh, I have in-depth conversations with the client to understand... Uh, what's going on. Um, I usually also do a fairly extensive discovery process on whatever it is they're doing. Um, Usually I try to do that before I have the first proper meeting. So uh, what I'd like is to be able to come into the meeting and have an understanding of the business. So I've done things like educate myself on Zodiac boats because we were doing a website on Zodiac boats once. So I know way too much about how Zodiac boats are made Watch like how it's made about Zodiac posts and stuff like that. <laughs> but it's um, knowing what the uh, knowing what the client is doing and knowing the language they use in their business has a huge impact because then you can speak their language in the proposal and you know their goals and uh, ideals and competition and all that stuff. Um, In addition, I try to uh, have conversations with other people in the company. I usually talk. If there's a secretary, I always talk to the secretary because they usually know everything that happens in the interface between the end user and the company. Um, And I just try to get a full understanding of what they're doing because I can't provide them with a good product unless I understand their business.
0: Jackie? How, how do you handle that discovery and, and onboarding a client?
3: I know we're all going to agree on this. We're just going to go right across the board. It's going to go. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, the The more I the more I ask questions about their business, and the less I talk about what I do, the better. Especially on those initial conversations, I think. It, Understanding why the client wants to do something right now, What was? what's the purpose of it. Uh, if they, like, many times you'll get, oh, I need to get a website right now. And if you really dig in, you can start asking questions about why and understanding what the motivation is and what the reasons are for it. Maybe they're planning to sell their company in six months. And, you know, if you take the time to really have all of those in-depth conversations and start and asking open-ended questions so that you can get um, detailed answers from them, I think uh, that will make it easier to put together a proposal that actually answers, um, you know, their their needs. And and basically, when they read this, it's going to go, oh, this is this is exactly what we're looking for, and versus going with an approach where you say you know hi I this is what I do I do all of this or you're constantly bringing up other projects you did and I think from a client's perspective they don't really care about that you're here to talk to them about their business and what they're doing and um so I try to remember you know not to keep tooting my own horn or things like that when I'm when I'm working with them and really stay focused on the client and what their objective is why they want to do this what's all of the the reasonings behind it, who are all the players, who's the stakeholders in this, what's their budget, um, you know, uh, just all of those questions here and when I'm I working when with I them and really stay focused on clients the client where I really understand their industry too. So that's like great. I've done several garden centers and things like that. Everybody knows I've got a horticulture background and so I love growing plants So anything involved in that area, I love that. Um, I'm also, you know... Knowledgeable very well in real estate and a couple of other areas, but if it isn't an area that I know much about, I'm perfectly willing to go and do the research up front to find out um, more about it, so that you can actually be a partner with a client instead of just you know so that you could actually work on this together. That's that would be my advice.
0: Yeah, I love the idea of Socratic questioning, and speaking their language, and digging in. Sally, do you have uh, how do you approach discovery? How do you approach the pre-proposal?
2: Okay, so you know, let's say a client calls me um, uh, or emails me and, and says you know, they need a website and so and so sent them in my direction and um, you know, I'll talk to them a little bit about uh, what's going on with them, what their major pain points are, that kind of thing but then I will try to set up a paid discovery session so we can really go into some depth about you know, what are their goals for their business. Uh You know what are the the you know top two or three things they're trying to do in the next year to support their business? How will they know when they've succeeded uh, and you know how how is their website able to support that um, because if i don't get that kind of information i'm not in a good position to write a proposal uh, and also, if in the course of this I discover that you know they have a budget of five hundred dollars, uh, you know there's it's going to be a real limit on what kind of proposal I might write and how much time I might spend on writing it, and and whether I, you know whether it turns out they really ought to go somewhere else. It's like yeah, I need a five page brochure site, and I'm not going to update it until next year. Maybe you don't want WordPress. You don't, <laughs> or, or right, or maybe you want WordPress.com, so at least the maintenance is being, you know, done in the in the, in the background behind you. Uh, but often, you know, sort of what clients think they want and what's actually going to support their business goals are very different things, and and so you really need to take some time to get into that, um, and then you know, with that information, at that point, they can, you know, they'll get a, a sort of short list of, of of you know general recommendations, and they can either. Ask, you know ask me for a proposal and, and you know continue to, uh, to work with me, or they can you know choose to go somewhere else and, and do something else, but uh, my time is covered.,
0: now, and I love the idea of paid discovery. Um, I'll just share really, really quick. Uh, this year I started doing making paid discovery like a prerequisite to even sending people a proposal and doing a project. And I've had a a lot of success with this. It weeds a lot of the people who are just trying to, you know, pick your brain for free. Um, I always ask, like, budget, like, right up front so I know what to recommend them to know if I'm going to be a good fit or if I know that I need to refer them elsewhere. The, The paid discovery is awesome because it gives you a chance to really dig in, ask the, you know, the questions like, why are they reaching out? and and doing this project now, as opposed to later or before. And you can find out a lot of of things here um, that you can't just in an initial phone call or email. And I usually record these as well so that I can use the language that they're using and use the phrases that they're using and repeat that later in the proposal. Um, So that brings me to the next question I want to ask Morton. What sort of things do you try and emphasize in your proposal? Are you emphasizing the value that they're getting? Do you uh, emphasize the total cost? Are you emphasizing features? What are the most important things to emphasize in a proposal?
3: You're Morton.
1: Morton. Morton. (laughs) Yes, I'm the master of technology. (coughs) Uh, My proposal's are I, 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 I take from experience that my proposals are not normal <laughs> because usually when I uh, provide proposals uh, to clients, they're like, whoa, this is not what I expected at all. Um, after we do a thorough, uh, thorough discovery process and talk to the client and try to understand them, we also do a secondary discovery process where we talk to their target audience, uh, usually without telling them. Uh, so that we get an understanding of where their goals are. This is all part of, you know, standard content strategy. Uh, Just establish a good content strategy. But then when we write the proposal, we create this large scope document, which basically breaks down from the top exactly what we are going to do. Uh, So we say, look, these are your goals. This is what we talked about. These are your client goals. Uh, and this is how we are going to meet those goals. We are going to use this application. We are going to write in these types of uh, content t- types. We're going to handle the content in this following way. We're going to add these types of third-party features. This is how it's all going to stitch together. Uh, these are the things that will happen, like accessibility, responsive design, da-da-da-da. These are the things that may happen if, we, uh, if you want to add extra money, like crap that no one wants. Um, and this is how it's all going to fit together. This is how long it's going to take, and this is what it's going to cost. And then we cost it out based on if you take the scope as is, Mm -hmm. it'll take this long and cost this much, provided we get all the content from you on time, and then we provide a schedule for that. Um, In addition, if you want to add on things, it will cost this much extra. It'll take this much extra time. And then we have a huge section on the bottom that says Anything that falls outside of the scope of this particular document um, becomes extra cost, and the extra cost is tallied as follows, and then we have the schedule for that and then all that becomes part of the contract, so it's not a separate document, it actually becomes part of the contract, so it ends up being like a 40 page document.:
0: Wow, so I like that Jackie. Oh, I like
3: that idea, I do. I think that's, that's great as um, combining the proposal and the contract in, into one document. I, I like to, in addition to what Morton was saying there, which are great points and covering the benefits to them as you're going through, um, while I'm doing my discovery, I also find out kind of what their minimum viable product is, you know, what's their minimum requirement, and then you'll get a sense of what their nice-to-haves are and maybe some additional things, and then you could give them some pricing points based on those, like three tiers of things, so that, um, and you can anchor it so that you're going to target the middle one if that's where you're where you want to try to end up. Um, but that, to me, will more focused on the features that they're going to get and what they're going to do, and maybe less talking about the technology part of it in there. I think sometimes I tend to – I've made that mistake in the past where I kind of think everybody's as enamored with all the technology like I am, and uh, they really don't care about those parts. They're more interested in the features that they're going to get, the functionality, and how that's going to help them achieve their goal. That's really the focus. And if you can outline that through your proposal, I think – then when they get to the end of this it's it's their it's a it, it answers their need.
0: No, most definitely I, I, I think you're totally speaking truth to power there. You're emphasizing, you know, what their goals are um and emphasizing that. Sally You know, what are the things that you emphasize in your proposals?
2: Right. So it it starts with kind of the uh, executive summary uh, overall thing where we kind of, you know, uh, talk about here are the clients, you know, uh, business uh, website needs. Um, You know, here's uh, what their, you know, uh, competitors might have that they don't. Um, and, uh, you know, then here's what we're going to do to address their immediate needs and perhaps, you know, add in some things that their competitors don't have. Uh, and then we get into the <clears throat> detailed scope uh, and the very, you know, clear statement, anything outside the scope of this project will be billed hourly at. Um, and then, the you know, and then the uh, agreement and, and, you know, some kind of... Like you know, here are some things that that you know you should understand. It's like yes, you get the responsive design, you get the you know you get the this, you get the that. You know, here 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 are the things that we need for the project. Here are some additional things that you know uh, we can add if if you want them. Uh, and you know it, you uh, the uh, you know the proposed time frame is is only valid if you cough up everything that you need to provide uh, you know in a timely way. Um, yeah that's that's a big challenge too for clients, though, is providing that
3: information. it It is, and John and I are going to have a podcast out on Wednesday. We're going to talk more about that. but the 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 getting this content first is really helpful and it also is very important for your discovery process. If a client has an existing website, it's a great time to go through that content with them and get a better understanding of why they created it initially. Is it something that they still need. Um, what are all the digital assets that they have there, they might be wanting completely new branding and that is a great way to learn more about what that journey is going to be like for them and getting as much of that front-loaded um, early on is way better. When everybody's kind of all in, just you know, web love, and we're so excited, we're doing this, and it's going to be great, and that's wonderful. And then as you get towards the end of the project, it gets to be oh gosh, okay, now you've sent me another email. You need what now? What didn't I provide? And it, it just
2: it's not as fun at the end.
1: Yep. So This is uh, what we're talking about here is content strategy.
2: Yes, and which, which is absolutely critical. And and I. D- Definitely recommend conducting a content audit on on anything that you actually have, and going through it and saying, you know, is this current? Is it relevant? You know, is it going to, you know, help convert people if if that's our goal? Uh, You know, where where is there stuff missing that needs to be created before we can go live? You know, where is there stuff that we should just, you know, get rid of at this point? Uh, and you discover all kinds of things. I mean, this this big project I'm working on, it turns out that a ton of stuff that didn't belong in the blog had been dumped in the blog. So mm. it's like, oh, so I've discovered all kinds of post types here. We have press releases, you know, we have news item, news coverage, we have presentation slides, we have, you know, webinar videos uh, and uh, you know, I, I would not have known about that without actually going through and touching all of these pages yeah. and, you know, I, there were a bunch of other things. I wouldn't wouldn't have discovered plus going through it all gives you a much better sense of who your client is and what they do
3: i think i think clients especially like retail uh, organizations they tend to use the blog very in an ineffective way they'll they'll use it to post sales and things that are going on in their organization that are very dated and kind of event-based, um, and especially for, for sales and clearance sales and all these things. When I'm going through a site that I'm getting ready to convert, I'll find a lot of content in there that is outdated, not necessary, distracting, is not adding any value. And I tell the clients, you know, let's create a what's new page every week that you that, that's a static page that you update your content there versus having all this straggled content in your blog that you don't ever go back and delete—that's really kind of irrelevant, and it isn't helping your business anymore. Especially if you're selling something that was on clearance two months ago, and now you're selling it at a completely different price, and you haven't gone through your blog and removed that content. So it's—I
2: think right. You know how do you how do you set up your calls to action for yeah. you know after or within your post so that you can just update them centrally, and whatever is in there is going to be a current offer. Exactly. Exactly.
0: So here's, here's kind of a cool question, too. Um, you know, doing a content audit, getting all your content, like, ahead of time is, is definitely key. Um, and but here's a question uh, about structuring the proposal. Do you, you emphasize value-based pricing, cost-plus-based pricing? What type of pricing do you use in your proposals? We'll start with Morton.
1: Man, that is such a hard question. Um, it's, see, I work with a lot of students, and everyone wants to go into business, and they all ask this, how do you price out your content? It's, <clears throat> well, um, I think it was, uh, which one of you said that? Uh, I think it, might, it was Jackie that mentioned uh, understanding what the budget of a client is before you get started. Uh, assuming that the client has a reasonable budget, which usually is not the case. Um, then uh, what you have to do is figure out how you work within that budget and then make a scope based on that, right? And <clears throat> what, uh, depending on the project, we either say uh, it's gonna cost this much. <laughs> Just this is actually what it breaks down to. This is how much time we're gonna spend. This is what happens. These are all the licenses that need to be brought, Like this is what the cost is gonna be. Um, other times we say, uh, there is a MVP, so we can get you up and running at this rate, and then below that, you can add all these extra features, and it'll either cost time or, uh, or it'll be, like, bundled into a specific cost. Um, what I've experienced is that is a great way for a company to sign on to a project to say these, this will be the total cost unless something untoward happens and explain exactly what would increase the cost. Um, and then give them a payment schedule. So, you know, you pay at certain stages through the project. You will pay regardless of what happens. Um, One of our payment schedule, one of our steps is there's a 75% point, which is we're pretty much 75% done. I don't care where the content is. You're paying me whether or not you have produced any of your content. So even if you're not- That's right. You're,
2: after X period of time, you make the second yeah. payment, irrespective of, w- of where we are. So if we if you've hung us up, that's your problem.
1: Yeah, Give because at money. that point, we feel that we are uh, at a point where we can't go any further without content, and you need to pay up. Uh, because that, that puts extra pressure on them. Uh, but the other thing we've done is um, when we start the project, we go in and say, uh, you know, before, This becomes a huge um, uh, cost issue. Uh, We can come in and do a consultation. It'll cost you this much money, and we usually say, uh, you know, a couple of hours just first to have a discussion, and and it has a fixed cost just to get them started. Um, And then we, uh, at a certain point, discuss a a better plan. Uh, But there, you know, the reason why we did that is because I work with a lot of third-party developers uh, and designers, and uh, the only way that I can reasonably pay them is if I uh, can tell them, I want you to do this, you have 10 hours, and then I will pay you for 10 hours. And then I know what their rate is, I can then uh, pay them properly, and I can budget uh, external work and budget my own work uh, based on what I'm going to get as income.
0: Okay, Uh, we're going to go to a break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to ask Jackie and Sally the same thing. So we're going to take a break really quick. We'll be right back with that.
1: Want to turn your WordPress website into an online speed machine?
0: Writing a great WordPress proposal, and we were discussing how do you do pricing? Do you do value pricing, cost uh, plus pricing, hourly, and Morton was saying at the end of uh, you know it, there's a certain point where you have to charge people and say, irregardless of content, you you need to like pay us because we can't like go forward without it. And I want to you know, ask Jackie really quick, like, have you have you ever, like, run into a situation like that um, where waiting on content is uh, preventing you from getting paid? And, and how do you structure your payment, uh, payments in your proposals uh, in present day?
3: Okay, uh, yes, I have run into that problem, and it does cause scheduling issues as well. So it's not just about money, it's about time management, where I'm planning on blocking out next week to do this rollout of your website based on your content that you should provide, and and we run into last-minute delays where I don't get that. Well, then if I've scheduled something else for the week after, it's not that easy for me to just keep moving everybody else back. I've got other clients that that I've committed to starting work on. So that becomes a challenge there. So definitely trying to get your content first, or at least structuring your content where I get almost all of my um, money for the project once the final design is finished so we get I typically get like 50 percent up front and then there's another 25 or 30 percent that comes once the design is finalized and done and then we're maybe talking about 20 10 to 20 percent remaining at the end that would be based on a lot of things that a client would provide but I'm really thinking about kind of reversing that whole way of doing it and kind of front loading the content in on the first end of it um, and then that's a great opportunity to help a client with additional services that they might need if they're not comfortable writing their own content then I can either do it for them or I can get a subject matter expert to work with them and and refer them to get that done and then I can kind of not have to book that project time right now I can say go go ahead and get all your basic content um, created and then come back and we'll schedule um, starting of the development process so I think I'd really like to try that approach and see how that works um, in the future versus trying to it it just always seems like it's a difficult problem at the end getting the content and like John John and I have talked about this it's like you're you know you're filling dummy content in on a website and it's just all extra work and time then you get content from them that no longer fits the design because of the length of it or other changes and things and it becomes then you're going back and retweaking again and making additional changes and I think it just adds to the cost of doing the website and really reduces your efficiency mm-hmm. so I would say, I would love to have um, just a blank 2016 theme or a Genesis sample theme or whatever I'm working in. Get the content in there. Get the images that they want to use. Because from there, I can design a really good color palette. I can um, figure out how I want to lay out the content now that I can visually see what it is. And it's a great way for your clients to see what it is they're actually saying because they get enamored with the beauty of things and they actually what's really important is the message I mean that's your whole part of your branding and your marketing strategy is going to be what is it that you're saying not so much how you're showing those words. So, I mean, it, is, it does help for it to be visually nice and everything, but I just think a lot of times the content's done at the last minute and that the least amount of effort and emphasis is put on it. And that is the most important part from an SEO perspective and from a branding perspective in your marketing. And it seems like that would be the time that you'd want to spend front-loading that stuff in the beginning when everybody's really interested in it all and then let the other parts fall in um, later.
0: No, absolutely. Um, you know, content is the thing that kind of holds up the final payment, like, a lot of the time, or holds up the project launch, and, and that's why, you know, addressing that really is good. Uh, Sally, so when structuring your proposals, do you, um, you know, do you do value-based pricing? Do you do cost plus? Do you do hourly? And here's the question. Do your... what, what are your clients, like, able to, to understand uh, what is easiest for them to wrap their heads around?
2: Um, I usually end up with a with a project price based essentially on how long I think it's going to take for, for me to do. So I will block it out as, as saying, okay, the scope includes, you know, building this, and it's going to be X to build that, and building, you know, this other thing, and it will be Y to build that, and, uh, you know, and then your total is, is you know, Z. Um, and you will pay twenty five up front you know fifty percent after thirty days uh even if you you know haven 't done anything and nothing has happened yet uh you know and and the rest at the at the conclusion and i've i 've also started uh Adding in a uh, a clause for if you delay this project past the time that I have scheduled to be working on it, not only do you like go to the end of the line in terms of when i 'm going to find time to, to do it, but you are going to have to pay me a, a restart fee because my brain will no longer be in your project, and I will have to go back over you know the whole proposal and all the conversations and any code I might have written and and, and reground myself in it plus i 'm probably going to have to be doing like maintenance on on the dev site you know this whole time that that 's dragging out. Uh, but uh, you know I have had some projects where I got paid hourly and made a pile of money the only problem was that we didn't have a uh, you know we didn't have a sort of payment schedule worked out very well so I didn't start with money Um, but uh, you know there are some things that that do end up taking a lot longer than you think Uh, and you know in in those cases you're you're going to be better off uh, being paid hourly but most clients do not want an open-ended amount of money that they're about to spend. So they like to have a, here is a not-to-exceed cost for, you know, this. And if you want anything else, it will cost you extra, and we should do it later, so that we can get this part done on time.
0: Awesome. Um, I, I In my experience, I'm really pushing, like, value pricing right now, but it what I have experienced is some people are fine with it, because if you lay out in the beginning, like, hey, if you do this project, here's the benefit that you're going to reap from it. You're gonna, you know, earn like, you know, a hundred thousand dollars or whatever. Let's just say, and so, you know, this project, we'll just say it's ten thousand or whatever. Uh, that makes a lot of sense to them, and, but it's I. Think I think it really, the biggest factor, it depends on, like, how people have been used to hiring people in the past. Um, if, they've hire, if they're used to hiring people at an hourly rate and kind of lowballing people, then they have a really, it, those people seem to have a harder time wrapping their head around, like, value-based pricing. Those
2: people may not know the value of, of, of what they're doing. Yeah. They may not be clear enough on, you know, okay, we 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 earned X this, you know, we made X this year. We want to make Y next year, and you know, if if so, if and the you know, this is how this is the revenue our our website brought in before, you know. And if you are confident that you know, based on what you've seen of their current site and what you know that their work can do, you can say, right, well, we can double the money that your website yeah. brings in next year then you've got a really good value argument. Uh, in some cases, you know, if it if it's not a you know, it's it's not a direct e-commerce site or if it's not a you know, you can say we'll bring yeah. x number of leads but they haven't got a value on on a, a lead, it's much harder to, to deal with.
0: Well, I'll just say that the the people that when you lay out the value and it's a proven thing say, and these are usually businesses that have some degree of success And it's like, well, just imagine, you know, if we clean up this stuff, you could be this much more successful. And the people who just kind of reject that and are still just kind of like, well, we just want to, you know, kind of not spend a lot of money. I have no problem just saying like, that's cool, you know. You find somebody else. You know, I'm I'm good with that. Uh, So final question. Uh, We'll start with Morton. You know, what are what things have you done? Uh, or have you learned, uh, you know, along the way, things that have not worked in your proposals uh, versus things that have worked, like, overall? What are are the things that you've done in the past that have just kind of not worked at
1: all? Uh, Over-focus on technical aspects tends to not work at all. Um, uh, Also, because people generally do not understand what a good web design and development agency does. Um, they tend to have a completely unrealistic view of the cost and work involved. And if you come at them with, like when people ask me how much this is gonna cost, that is usually the initial warning sign that <laughs> there's something wrong with this entire conversation and we need to have a much deeper conversation about what it is you want to do. So. I used to say, eh, it'll range between whatever and whatever, and that would usually end the conversation uh, because they'd just be like, wow, well, that is super expensive, right? So yeah. instead, when people ask me what's it going to cost, um, I ask two questions. I ask, what, what is your current budget is? And uh, if it's absurd, then I say, well, are you willing to invest a couple hundred dollars in me coming in to consult with you and figure out what it is you need. Um, so I end up doing that uh, a lot where I go in and work with a company for just a couple hours to figure out what they need and then help them figure out how to go out and find someone else to do the job for them, um, but at least so that they have a better understanding of the industry. Uh, another thing that does not work is uh, not providing a proper schedule for content creation. So uh, we talked a bit about um, uh, content uh, inventories. Uh, What I've started doing now, which is still in a test stage, because I don't really have a lot of clients. I do most of my work training, not as much building anymore. Um, But what I've started trying out is uh, creating an inventory that's shared with the client, um, where in the inventory we assign people to every single piece of content. And we give them deadlines. And then we use uh, Redbooth, which is a project management tool, sort of like, uh, what is it called? That thing that everyone uses. uh, Basecamp. Basecamp, only way better. Uh, And we've linked Redbooth to a Google document. So uh, we can assign tasks to people within Redbooth. If they don't perform the tasks within a certain deadline, they get a warning saying, hey, you need to perform this because you're holding the project back. Um, oh, so, wow, there's nice. a conversation going on as they're working, um, and the boss or whoever's managing this thing can go in and look at this spreadsheet and see, like, how come everything under John's column is red? Like, right? you're not doing your work, and you're then like, either fire the John <laughs> or assign it to someone else, uh, right? And having all that in a spreadsheet makes it extremely visual. So, we color code every piece of content to say, whether or not it has been done, whether or not it's delayed, whether like what's happening for all these pieces. And we kind of leave that to the client, because that way, instead of saying, you need to make all the content for the entire website, you say, here is all the content that at some point needs to be created. This is when we need it by, and this is how you need to manage this internally in your company. And that seems to work better than... Uh, just handing it to the client without really giving them any guidance. But like I said, this is a relatively new process, so it hasn't been fully scale tested yet. But I think that's probably a better path than just saying, I need 500 posts, I need you to rewrite all this content. By the way, there are six new post types, go. (laughs) It doesn't work.
0: No, I love that, that you're, uh, you're making it measurable, and you're assigning roles and saying, here's what we expect, and here's the time frame, and here's who's assigned to what. Jackie, what, what are things that you've done with your proposals that have not worked in the past
3: I think the biggest one for me is the things I've left out of the proposal or left out of the contract, right? So Because your proposal turns into a contract at some point and you're going along the project now. So the things that come into play, which is everybody's already discussed, is you know, clients not working within the deadlines that you've set. That's a big challenge. And it seems like... We have a little bit more of a difficult time holding them as accountable as they have holding us accountable because they've hired us. So the relationship is already set up where, you know, it's difficult to go to your client and, you know, say, well, I had asked you to have this to me on Monday, but they it's now Friday. I still don't have it. Oh, I'm sorry, you know, and it's more of that client um you know, vendor relationship type of a dance that you do there. And I think that's a challenge. So having a better schedule that's, that has consequences, okay, because there's no point in having a schedule if there are no consequences yeah. because clients are busy. This is not their main focus. That This is my main focus to build out their site, but it's not their main focus. So they're busy. They've got other things going on in their business. So if there aren't any consequences, there will be delays. There's going to be delays anyway, but there will be mm-hmm. delays severe delays if there are no consequences for things. So I think structuring that in a friendly way that's not, you know, you're not creating an adversarial relationship, and I think that's the big challenge we all have is, is at what point does this become adversarial now with my client when they are not providing me what I need in order to finish the project on schedule? Or the scope creep issues, and not adequately addressing those things where clients don't understand I just need a couple of more things done over here or a few more things or we need to add two more menu items and these things, those things that were not kind of in the original scope. And so being really clear about what that scope means and and early on saying in a and finding a way to communicate that and say, hey, that's great. I'd love to add that. Do you want me to send you, um, do you want me to estimate what that's going to, how that's going to impact the cost of the project or do you want me to do a change order for you to to do this work and then basically right up front they already know there's going to be an additional cost for it and definitely not wait until you get further down the road with this and you've already started to do the work and then you mention oh well you know this was extra and by then you have a problem so I think adequately putting all of that stuff in the contract up front and doing it in a win-win situation with your client is a really is a really good approach to it and I try to always approach everything like how would I take this if I was the client and you know look at things from their perspective every time something goes wrong in a project it is my fault it is either the fact that I have not communicated properly what what the expectations were or that I didn't scope it properly or I didn't do it the right discovery or I didn't see the red flags it's usually Almost every time, it's my fault. I could have, what, and I always ask myself, well, what could I have done to manage this better? And then how can I take what I just learned and then roll that in into my next contract? How can I make it easier for the client to be successful?
1: Mm-hmm. Always
0: learn. So, yep, definitely set expectations. Sally, what things have you done that, uh, you know, what things have you done in the past with your proposals that didn't work?
2: Uh, right well sort of all of the above that, that Jackie mentioned uh, but probably the the worst thing uh, you know that has, that has caused, ended up causing me the, the most frustration uh, is doing a pro bono project without creating a detailed scope of work and assigning a, a, a monetary value to it because these are the people who will be the most trouble as clients the ones mm. who are not paying at all beca- who are not paying you at all because they don't know how much of your time they're taking, and how much you know, how much value you're giving them, unless you tell them.
0: No, totally agree, That's and I've done. a great idea,
2: Sally. I love that idea.
0: I've done that too. Where if you're going to do full price or free, and I, I do agree with that philosophy: full price or free. Show them how much you're discounting. Put the full price and the discount. The full price, so they know. Um, I think this has been a stellar episode. Um, we've learned a lot about, you know, how to construct a winning WordPress proposal. Um, so, panel, tell us how you can get a hold of yourselves. Morton, how do people get a hold of you? Uh,
1: Twitter, I'm at Morton because that's my name. Uh, you can also hunt me down on lynda.com from LinkedIn. If you go to linda.com/mor10. You get all my fantastic courses. And I happen to have a new course on content strategy that just came out a couple oh, weeks ago. Oh, well, I've, I've watched nice. every one of your Very episodes. Very related Morton. to what we're talking about. Did I've you watched like it?
3: every episode, Morton, that you've done. I will watch that one. If it just came out, that's my next one.
1: Awesome.
0: Awesome. Uh, Jackie, how do people get a hold of you?
3: You can reach me on Twitter at jdelia. Um, Jackiedelia.com and on
2: my new podcast, Rethink.fm.
0: Great, Sally. How do people get a hold of you?
2: Uh, if you can spell my name, you can find me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, W—I am—I am unique on uh, Google. So, uh, you know, my parents didn't realize they had search engine optimized my name. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, WPFangirl.com uh, will uh, point you to where you need to go.
0: Great, and Jonathan, how do people get a hold of you? Oh, Jonathan can't. He jonathan can hear, hear us. Him. Okay. Anyway, uh, you, Jonathan, you can. It, it, people can get a hold of my co-host, Jonathan Denwood. Uh, his email is jonathan at uh, wptonic or wp tonic uh, And you can find him at. You know, his uh, startup is mail-write.com, uh, or you can find him at, on Twitter at, at jonathan.denwood.com, and you can get a hold of me. My name's John Locke. You can get a hold of me at lockdowndesign.com, and my Twitter is lockdown underscore. There you go. So... Jonathan's saying, raise your hand at the end because he can't hear. He's in, (laughs) in the chat. He's we're having technical difficulties today. So anyway, we're calling it. uh, This was episode 113 of WP Tonic. If you want to do us a favor, go to iTunes, uh, give us a rating. That really helps other people discover us.